to Jake's World, episode 24 of Jake's World. I'm your host, Jake Swinski, and today is Monday, July 21st. I pulled another Costanza this weekend. No, it didn't involve me, you know, um, well, kind of involved me having the dumbest luck possible. Mostly me being stupid, but it didn't involve me having a golf club slip out of my hands and having to jump into a nasty, gross pond or um, anything else stupid that likes to happen to me. Like, you know, just all the dumb shit I've talked about over and over all the time on here, but nothing like that. So, per usual, I blew off Thursday night's podcast and figured, oh, Helping a buddy move in Madison this weekend. I'll just do it Friday night because it's going to be, you know, quiet evening. Not really doing anything. Got to get up early the next day and go help buddy move, right? So, I drive a dud piece of a car. I call it the, the death machine. Car's practically falling apart, right? So, every Friday when I leave work, I have to... You know, check the oil and put oil in it just to be extra careful. Most people can just go and not worry about it. You know, they worry about it, you know, once every three months. I have to worry about it all the time because I'm a peasant and I can't afford to buy a new car yet. And I do the old, uh, no, just, I don't even check it. I just throw some more oil in there because I know it's probably safe to assume. Don't ever do that. It's terrible advice. I'm just a lazy piece and didn't feel like doing the whole dipstick thing so I do that put the oil back in the trunk where it belongs and I ride off you know three hours later I pull up park the car in Madison and open the trunk to grab my duffel bag and my uh, backpack with the computer and microphone in it whatever it's not there I'm like, son of a bitch, motherfucker. I left everything at home. Turns out, I yep, had everything packed, ready to go. Didn't grab it. Didn't realize, oh, hey, dummy. Uh, you're not carrying anything besides your lunch and your coffee mug to your car. And then I had a second chance of doing it when I opened the trunk and still did not notice anything but, you know, golf clubs and a... A gallon of oil and slipped my mind. Didn't even notice. So in the zone to get back. So I couldn't have recorded a podcast unless I drove all the way home to grab everything and drive all the way back. And I was like, well, fuck it. I forgot the or I didn't do it the last three weeks. I'll just have to put it off one more week. So that's what I did. And then, then, couple weeks ago, my cable stopped working. I have AT&T U-verse. I swear by it unless you have a problem with it, which is what I just found out. The cable stopped working, so I'm like, whatever. I usually just like stream something on Netflix or Hulu or HBO, usually HBO. I've been watching The Wire. I've got one more season to go. I haven't been able to watch it in two weeks. Now I have no way of watching it. So I'm like, you know what, I'll just use my damn work computer and do something. You're not supposed to do that. It's a big no-no. I'd probably get in trouble, so it's probably a good thing this happened. But my internet stops working. I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm like fucking around with the 
the router or the modem, unplugging things, rearranging things, and it's just like classic me. When it rains, it pours. You forget all forms of entertainment, and then even if you had brought them, it wouldn't have mattered anyways because it wouldn't have worked properly. So I cleaned up a little bit. I entertained myself, myself other ways. Then Saturday I was gone, so I guess it didn't hurt me in the long run. But do you ever have those days or those periods of your life, whether it's a few days or a week stretch, where you just feel like your head is not attached or it's attached backwards? That's what I felt like this last week. <laughs> Full week of work. I complained about it enough. But it's just like, Jesus, you are a dumbass. Just get your shit together. But that's enough of my Costanza ranting to begin the show. Kind of a different show today. Um, going to talk about sports to start. I'll do that right away. Then, of course, I have my Monday movie review at the end of the show. But I had a weird thought over the weekend, you know, and being a history major, too, I can relate to it a little bit. But I'll talk about that more when I get there. Hopefully this week flies by. Because my pride and joy, my favorite sport, baseball, is coming back. MLB is start or is set to start this weekend, Friday, I believe. You know, opening weekend, I guess. But a lot of the other teams, or a lot of teams all across the league, have been you know been doing televised, uh, like batting practice or scrimmage style practices and you know there's some exhibition games starting this week like I grew up a Cubs fan and Cubs and the White Sox did an exhibition this afternoon this evening so it's nice to be able to not have to watch you know talk sports on ESPN because you know can only take so much Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman let me correct that. You can probably take zero Max Kellerman. Or, you know, watching the news or reruns or whatever. It's nice to be able to watch something sports. And if a lot of people don't like watching golf, they'd rather watch paint dry. I'm not one of those people. But, I mean, with no cable on the weekends, it's been like that for a couple of weeks now. I haven't been able to watch any yet, and I'm too busy playing it. It's nice to see a sporting event. And then next weekend not this upcoming weekend the weekend after we have playoff hockey the NBA starting up so guys it's been a shitty 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 last four months but we're almost to sanity we're going to be able to take our attention away from the slew that's been social media the last three four months and we can Watch some sports. Guzzle some Friday beers with the boys. Just enjoy our national pastime. That one's coming sooner. I love the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's one of my favorite things about every spring, usually. You know, you have opening day baseball, Stanley Cup playoffs. I don't get into the NBA. I'm just going to root for LeBron to lose like I always do. And 
yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to see if I can find a bookie too. Why not waste some more money gambling too? So, And then I didn't get a chance to talk about it last week, you know, just with, you know, general procrastination and me being a forgetful dumb shit. The NBA bubble has got to be the strangest thing that I've I've seen over the last week, right? You had this good idea that the commissioner and the players association and the owners come up with, hey, let's do a host city in Orlando, Florida. That was a real jimbo, but let's isolate all these players in like, you know, one city where they can play the duration of their season. I've talked about what they plan on doing with their format and scheduling things like that and I'm not going to bore you to death because one I'm probably not going to say it all correctly because I don't really care all that much and two you've seen it by now but I find it absurd like I like the content coming out of the bubble what these guys are doing in their free time you know like um DeAndre Ayton got off the bus from the airport or whatever had his headset on, had his PlayStation in his hand, his TV in his hand. That was kind of cool. You saw guys over the weekend sitting in their pool, shotgunning beers, and doing all sorts of normal people shenanigans, right? That was cool. But it's nice to see a different side of their life. You know, pictures of their hotel room, whether they're complaining about it or they're like, I don't really care. Like Giannis said, he shared his hotel. His bedroom in Greece with his four other brothers or I think he said four other brothers the size of the hotel room was like the size of their apartment so like some humility there too and then some of the um, materialistic guys were complaining about it I'm not going to say who because I'm not even sure I thought like Rajon Rondo was complaining about it but I could be wrong somebody was a couple of guys were complaining about it but it's crazy to me like the players association with things headed by Chris Paul and a handful of other players, um, you know, the owners and the commissioner all lay out this plan to see how we can get probably the probably not the most popular sport yet. I still think the NFL um, has the most viewership during a season just because you know it's one day a week it's like football has replaced god in most of our lives right sunday used to be church now it's football if you still do church it's church and football like everyone partakes in football it seems like if you don't you're goofy i don't know how you can't but the nba is so popular and i feel like most people are looking forward, or I should say most people who follow sports, are looking forward to the NBA coming back the most. And it blows my mind how dumb some of these guys can be. Like, the whole bubble concept is for you to be in isolation from everyone else, not so you get sick and spread it to other people, but so other people can't get it to you. Like, why are you leaving the bubble? They made that pretty clear. You have to stay in this area 
that we've designed that we've deemed, excuse me, like players only. Like guys are having Instagram models over, they're going to restaurants and you know, um, they have to be quarantined after or you know, like what like think about it. I know you're fucking bored. Like you're either practicing or sitting around doing nothing. But there's a purpose to it. And it's for you. Right? Like, am I, I feel like I'm coming at that point in a common sense way. Like, they're not worried about a select few NBA players. When I say select few, it's like, what, 300 people? 300 players, I should say. They're not worried about you going out and spreading it other places. They're worried about you getting it from somewhere else or somebody else that's not supposed to be there with you. And I believe family members, some select family members are allowed to. Could be wrong. Don't care, though. It's not for... It's protecting you. They don't want you to bring it from somewhere else. Coronavirus. And infect your teammates spread it to your teammates they don't want other people who aren't allowed inside of the bubble to do the same thing they're protecting you think about something else besides you for once and honestly i shouldn't even say that because the thinking for you has already been done like just do whatever just don't leave they want this to work so you get paid if you don't play, you don't get paid. If you get paid, it's not going to be the same. But, I don't know. I'm more ranting about the NBA just because I find the whole league thing ridiculous sometimes. It's like it's like the soap opera of the four American sports, the major sports. And people dig that. And I just can't get in. I don't know. I, I find it annoying sometimes. Sometimes the headlines are funny. I like the little beefs that go on between players. Like Westbrook, Embiid, um, Patrick Beverly, and everybody. Draymond Green, he's ridiculous. I find it entertaining. But some of the other stuff like that goes on is just like, why? But uh, the NHL had a weird thing in Edmonton at one of their facilities. Like it was all underwater. I don't know if like a pipe broke or they had a bad flood or storm, whatever. That was kind of crazy. But you'd think like the whole Canada effect would be helpful, right? Like minus Toronto. Toronto's a huge city. But like I think Edmonton's a host city and uh, I thought there were two. The other one slipped in my mind. Winnipeg maybe? They're smaller cities. You'd think that would work. And it's it's just like... It's, I don't know. It's like we're so close. But part of me... Like, I'm trying to be optimistic about it all. But the way this year has gone so far, I feel like it's just something's going to come up. It's like my Costanza life, except this is actually serious. And that's actually a pretty good transition here. But I wanted to talk about was um 2020 as a whole I'm a history major right 
or I was, I majored in history and finance, of course. I tell everyone that all the time. It's the weirdest combo I've ever seen. But United States history, Cold War history, was always my favorite study subject, or subject of study, in, even in high school. And even throughout college, I always liked studying all aspects of everything after World War II. The way America handled communism, civil rights movement, um, even like cultural revolutions like Beatles and the British invasion, uh, the hippie movement. I love hippie mu- <coughs> Excuse me, I love the music of the late 1960s. That, um, acid rock, I love that stuff. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jefferson Airplane. Led Zeppelin, all those bands, I love it. Late Beatles, all that stuff. And I remember in high school, I had a teacher who, when he taught in, in my school, it was United States History 3, covered um, beginning of World War Two or end of World War Two. I don't quite remember, up until Obama's election at the time. I mean, when I took that class, it was... 2014 so Obama was halfway through second term um, he said this thing when we covered Vietnam War and getting into Watergate things like that 1968 was the worst year in American history and I thought that was really interesting you know once not when coronavirus started, because that was kind of an isolated incident in itself, but everything that's followed suit and the divide we've, you know, undergone as a country, left and right, red and blue, black and white, any any kind of divide that we seem to have, it just seems like every event snowballs off of one another and it gets worse and worse and worse. And I was thinking about that a little bit because I'm like, I don't think... There's ever been a time in our country's history that has even close to comparable to this. And I remembered what he said. And I just, I'd like to run through some of the things that happened here. Um, of course, the United States being in the Cold War, a lot of these events involve the United States, but they're always in faraway places, right? 1968, we were very deeply involved in the Vietnam. Vietnam War, right? We'd been there as advice with CIA advisors. I'm doing quotes that you can't see. Since 1963, the Kennedy administration got us there. And by 1968, it went full swing because of an event that happened. Really full swing. But I'm reading an article from History.com, and I might put you to sleep, you might turn it off, but hey, just try to listen, you might learn something. There are 11 things that happened that were very, very influential, not even on just the country stage, but like the world stage, right? The first one is Prague Spring. January 5th, in Czechoslovakia, Alexander Dubček. Dubček, not sure, was elected as the first secretary of the country's Communist Party over the Stalinist Antonin Antonin Novotny, a victory that marked a brief period of liberalization and reform known as the Prague Spring. 
that sounds good, right? Everyone remembers Stalin as being some ruthless, hard C, big C communist dictator that you know sent millions of people to uh, working cam- labor camps in Siberia and ruled the Politburo in Moscow with a iron fist, right? With an iron fist. Oh, a Soviet satellite nation is making an effort to repeal that stuff and go toward a different direction. Well, the thing is, we were so involved with the Cold War, any time the Soviets did something, we had to, you know, be on our guard and vice versa. Any time we did something, they were on high alert. They invaded Czechoslovakia. And to pose the leadership and, you know, some bad things happened there. I'm not going to get into the details because I could talk all day about history. I love it that much. But you have all these little incidents happening, not just in 1968, but years prior and years after where the world's kind of watching, like, what's going to happen here? Are we going to teeter toward, you know, World War Three? It never happened. But the Red Army marched in and you know, did a lot of damage there. So, North Korea. This is January 23rd. That was January 5th. Um, Some 15 years after the Korean War, the still tenuous relations between North Korea and the United States gave way to crisis after North Korea captured the Navy intelligence vessel, the USS Pueblo, and its crews. U.S. authorities claimed the ship had been in, in international waters in the Tushima... Yeah, Tsushima Strait, but North Korea disagreed and held the 83 crew members in a POW camp before the two countries could negotiate their lease. Now, we use this as an excuse to really become involved in the Vietnam conflict. There are lots of little incidences, and this has happened, you know, dozens of times in history. Spanish-American War was started by us, a reporter, oh, what's the guy's name? Um, Pulitzer, I think. There, there were two really good journalists at the time. I think Pulitzer was the one, the Pulitzer guy. The prize is named after. Uh, he claimed the Spanish attacked a ship in Cuba and blew up our boat. And that's like the best excuse to start a war. Oh, they bombed our ship. But Vietnam was so much of a containment of communist excuse, even though I believe it was a method to um, use military armaments economically, military-industrial complex. You know, we fight a war not to win but not to lose. You know, we're using millions and billions of dollars of ammunition, bombs, um, fighter jets, things like that. So much money is being generated for shareholders that own stakes in companies like Raytheon, uh, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin. Things like that. That ship being captured and our sailors being imprisoned didn't just mean North Korea or Vietnam. It meant China, the Communist Party, Mao Zedong, Moscow. It's all part of this thing. And I'm telling you this because it's kind of like comparable to what we have going on with this paranoia of overseas influence on 
our government affair. I'm not saying it's true or not. I think there are elements to it because it's brought up and say what you will, whether it was Trump, Clintons, Biden, whatever, I don't care. I'm not getting into that. I'm just saying it's kind of comparable because we are throwing accusations at people in our government structure that are letting Russia tamper with us or we're tampering with them. And it's kind of like it seems like this one incident is influencing others and is being influenced by something else. And I just thought that comparison was interesting, right? Now, this is the first major one that everyone probably knows about. It's the Tet Offensive. We're in Vietnam. Tet is the Lunar New Year. And the NVA, North Vietnamese Army, and the Viet Cong launch a month-long attack against the United States Army in south of Vietnam. It was a sudden attack, right? And we weren't exactly expecting it because... Vietnamese people took Tet very seriously. It's a celebration. But they did like 30-something isolated attacks all over the South Vietnamese countryside and really gave us hell because we were kind of caught off guard. They overran Saigon where the U.S. Embassy was and we had to leave. And it was intense fighting for a month too. And that, after Tet, is when... The sentiment toward the Vietnam War really, really turned sour for LBJ. LBJ being President Lyndon Johnson, who did not get us involved by his own right. He was vice president after JFK was assassinated. He took over. He was reelected. Or elected, I should say. He got us involved big time. And this is when... The counterculture movement, I shouldn't say that, the peace movement, like hippie protests, I say hippie, but that's what they're called, referred to as. That's when the anti-war protesting, the resentment of our involvement in Vietnam really grew, and that's when some tension was really building up in this country. LBJ bedeviled by Vietnam. Mm, did you let me skim real quick. I kind of covered that. Um, now, it was really crazy. This is another thing, too, involving Vietnam that I find really comparable to today is the entire administration that sits in our White House right now is either beloved or beloved or hated, right? There's no one between. No one's partial or impartial. And respects their accomplishments or you know some of the good things they've done or acknowledge some of the bad things they've done it's one one or the other he's satan or he's god right it's it was the same thing back then too because it started out as kennedy's inner circle and shifted to um johnson's inner circle you have guys like Robert McNamara. That's probably the biggest one. Secretary of State. Or Defense, excuse me. And LBJ, of course. And other figures in 
the White House at the time were really, really making excuses as to why they were still in Vietnam and they were kind of lying to the people saying we have this under control the war is going to be wrapped up soon and meanwhile bodies are piling up and billions are being spent and it's kind of similar to the last wars that we've had going on in this country and it's really snowballing now not with you know the event compared to the event but the resentment compared to the resentment right Everybody in Trump's cabinet has some media controversy, right? Like Betsy DeVoe, yeah, the school, the, what would you call it, Secretary of Education. Um, then any, like anybody in his cabinet, himself, of course, Vice President Pompeo, all these guys are dragged through the mud or defended by their every action right? every action they do is defended it's so strange maybe this is me living in this environment today because I haven't experienced anything else I'm like trying to tell this in a way that like makes me feel wise but it's really strange because I have none of the sort I'd never experienced anything back then my parents were too young to really understand too so it's like I don't know what, what, if the strife was the same, if it felt the same. But it feels like we're so polarized, so divided. Maybe it was the same way back then, but I feel like most attitudes were a little more conservative back then anyways, just compared to now. And, like, the anti-war protests were the first real, minus the civil rights movement, of course, the first real protest toward you know, making a big change for government. By civil rights, I'm include, I mean the African-American movement and women's rights. Those were the, the suffrage movement, things like that. So, covered those two. Um, Martin Luther King was assassinated in April in Memphis for no real reason. The most notable civil rights character, I shouldn't say character, um, leader, of all time probably it's him and Malcolm X and I mean we just lost John Lewis over the weekend he was longtime senator from the south I think of Georgia lived all over the south very active you know made the world a better place tried to better African-American life for himself and everyone else around him in the south sad to see a respected figure like that go but at least he went out not violently right student protests all over the world Vietnam protests right that's where the movement started were was on campuses were on campuses in San Francisco Corner Height and Ashbury where counterculture started things like that um, Robert Kennedy's assassinated the Chicago Democratic Convention. Um, Sirhan Sirhan killed RFK for support for Israel in the Six Day War. Palestinian movement's a newer thing that started in the Americas. We were very Zionist up until you know a few years ago. Um, let me skim this one real quick. I'm not, I've never Chicago 
Democratic National Convention. A lot of protesters, the Black Panthers, it got um, Richard Daly was the mayor of Chicago. Things got violent there. Oh, the Olympic protests. Um, the black athletes who won an event, they you stand on a podium, right? They did the iconic, um, the fist, right? They raised their fist during the Star Spangled Banner. That's kind of been, that was black a black power symbol at the time, you know, being associated with the Black Panther Party. And that's kind of been the thing with Black Lives Matter. Now that's where that gets its roots from. That was controversial because it's like black power didn't sit the same way it does now. Back then it was a little, I'm trying to word this the right way. It wasn't, I don't want to say frowned upon, but like even in the civil rights community, it wasn't agreed upon that was the best way of handling things, you know, with armed resistance to white oppression right so I mean, that was controversial you know supporting that showing that symbolism and then Richard Nixon won the White House I mean you have all these events happening that really like analyze America's values at the time and I thought it was really cool I shouldn't say cool interesting to me how like all the events of the past six seven months have like paralleled the worst year in our country's history up until now. We have the death of Kobe Bryant, right? He's a beloved sports figure, not just for his athletic accomplishments, you know, star shooting guard for the Los Angeles Lakers, plays 20 seasons, scores 30,000 points damn near, if not more. I think he broke that by a little bit. Um... Five NBA titles, handful champ or MVP trophy. I mean, the guy's a killer on the court, Black Mamba, right? And then, when you think he hangs it up, he does something even better. He's, you know, won an Oscar for that uh, Dear Basketball, that short he did. Um, what the game meant to him, how much he loved the game, and how he wanted to give back to the game. You know, he became active in coaching and. Um, business mind and he was just so he's a brilliant guy he spoke three or five different languages something like that and for him to go out when it seemed like his real life was just beginning right like he played basketball for 20 years he was an NBA star for over half his life came in the league at 18 and then he left at 39 or whatever it was I'm 18 for sure 17 18 year old kid and then he retires when he's 36 37 38 that was more than 36 38 39 and a few years after something tragic like that happens and then you started hearing whispers of coronavirus right impeachment of our president the third time it's happened in our history full-blown pandemic Stock markets sell off. Shutdowns. Uncertainty on where to go. Um, a global push for a vaccine. People dying. Disease spreading. 
all of a sudden America is not handling it well. By the way, we do have the best health care in the world. Please remember that. Not sure what to do. We start pointing fingers. It becomes politicized. Police violence everywhere. George Floyd had that happened. Um, Black Lives Matter protests. Some places it turns to violence and rioting. Other places, not so much. Coronavirus is coming back. Sports get canceled. Sports might be coming back. You have strange things happening in Portland where you know, undercover agents are scooping up people, allegedly. I'm not sure what to believe anymore. There's got to be some truth to it. It's being reported. People are kind of vanishing. Antifa, the autonomous zone. Don't even give me that. That's, that's stupid. I mean, I'm not trying to offend anyone there, but, like, if you want to declare yourself autonomous from a city and you ask, like, you wonder why there's crime there, it's like you don't pay taxes anymore. You don't get access to civil services. That's your what you get. That's why we pay taxes and participate in a society. If you want to be autonomous, fine. You do it by yourself. That's what that means. That was besides the point. But, um, it's just crazy to see, like, me being a student of history gives me such a different perspective because I might not have experienced it firsthand, but I know what happened. And I thought about that, and I was like, whoa, this is way worse. Way, way worse. So, take it for what you will. I mean, I just thought that was a little long-winded, but it was a different kind of an insight, different perspective, I guess. So, last thing I'm going to talk about today is our movie review, of course. Goodfellas, right? I I think I've mentioned this before, but I have gone on uh, a journey starting my senior year of college to re-listen to or listen to every single part of my take episode podcast ever. It's my favorite podcast, Big Cat, PFT. And during the summer, they do this thing called Mount Rushmore, right? They do like a snake draft thing between him, those two, and Hank. And they'll pick a different topic every show during the summer. And I'm driving home on Sunday, and the show I was listening to was like uh, late June of 2019. So I'm almost there. I've got like 200, 300 more hours to go. Um, They're doing a Mount Rushmore of like unskippable movies. Like you're flipping through the channels or whatever, and you catch a movie in the middle and it's a movie you can't skip no matter what. And Big Cat's a Goodfellas, right? And it's funny that I picked the movie before because, like, it just kind of reinforces, like, hey, maybe I did make a good pick, right? And then PFT said something that was really funny. Whenever I watch Goodfellas, I always seem to pick it up when um, Henry is being paranoid, high on cocaine with the helicopter looking over him, right? And if you've never seen that, you're like, what are you talking about? So I'll give you a very brief synopsis because, like, a lot of Scorsese movies, they're very detailed, they're very long, they go all over the place, and they're well done, right? So it's an ensemble cast. Well, the first three are. Um, 
Ray Liotta plays um, Henry Hill. Robert De Niro plays Jimmy Conway. This is all based on a true story, too. And um, Joe Pesci plays Tommy DeVito. You have two of the three best mobsters, gangs, not like today's gangsters. It's a different, they're different, like mobsters. Two of the three best mobsters in film history. You're missing Al Pacino. And I mean, it's, to me, the, that's like the big three. I mean, if you think of the Godfather movies, you have De Niro, Pacino, and like Marlon Brando is the other big character from that film. It's mostly Al Pacino. De Niro's in the second one. He plays a young Vito. Um, De Niro's in all kinds of mobster flicks. Um, Once Upon a Time in America, Godfather Part Two, Goodfellas, um, all kinds of movies like that, right? Um, trying to think off the top of my head real quick, just because, um, this one's getting a little long, I'm not trying to run too long, but, um, a lot of actors have played really good performances as gangsters, like, uh, if you've ever seen American Gangster, Denzel Washington did a fabulous job, um, Johnny Depp does a tremendous job as Jimmy Balger, or, yeah, Jimmy Balger in Black Mass, one of my favorite movies is well acted um that's just counting movies like James Gandolfini was born to be a gangster in um the Sopranos plays Tony Soprano um Dr. Melfi from the Sopranos uh, plays Karen I forget her real name slipped in my mind but she plays Henry's wife and there's all kinds of great performances in all mob movies but this one seems to be not the best written but it's just like you've got everyone you need and the story's good it's basically the life of Henry Hill how he starts out you know being a little kid living in New York and um he starts you know small time and you know bootlegging and, you know, selling stolen cigarettes and things like that, right? It's a quotable movie, too. I mean, Joe Pesci's like, you know, the restaurant scene where he's like, funny how? Yeah, funny how? Oh, yeah, you're just a funny guy. What do you mean I'm funny? Am I a clown? Am I here to amuse you? Do I wear big shoes? Do I look funny? It's like, <laughs> it's just, the whole movie, it's, it's got a great mix of, you know, story, comedy, a lot of violence, right? So, it, I mean, I'm not going to get too into the details of the movie just because it's literally three hours. But, I mean, it starts out with Henry Hill. It kind of shows his life growing up, becoming a gangster in Paul Cicero's mob. Um, you know, he meets Karen... Um, he just starts doing jobs. Now, Henry was never, like, a hit guy. Like, he never did any of that. It's not, like, a movie that's 
filled with a ton of violence. Like when you think of um, some of the movies, some of the mob movies get like really, really violent, right? Like I'm not saying it's not there at all, but the whole premise of the movie isn't really formed around that. Now, he sums it up pretty well in the beginning when he says, you know, being a wise guy, a mobster, being a wise guy was for people who couldn't go to the cops, right? You know, you have a problem and you could incriminate yourself or, you know, something like that. You had, you needed help, but you could not go to the cops for them to solve your problem because you'd be like self-reporting yourself or, you know, you had something else going on or you're in a situation with the wrong person. If you tell the cops, they would retaliate. So you go to the mob and they take care of it for you, right? It just goes through his life, you know, living a life of crime, right? They'd pull off the biggest heist in, uh, at the time, the Latanza heist. They stole like a couple million dollars out of LaGuardia Airport. Um, he, you know, they split it all, right? Oh, Samuel L. Jackson's in there too. I forgot about that. He plays Stacks. Um, you know, it's like the lives of Henry, Jimmy, and J- Tommy all intertwining together. And you see each character develop as time goes on. Like, Henry was always, like, he was eager at first, but he was never ruthless, right? He started doing, or selling drugs, doing drugs, and Polly didn't want anything to do with it. And he got in trouble doing that or whatever. Tommy was always extremely violent. Like, he shoots Spider because he told him to go fuck himself. Pulls out his hand cannon and shoots him eight times. They got to go bury the body. Things like that, right? Um, Billy Bats um, is played by uh, Phil Leotardo. He plays Phil Leotardo in Sopranos. I don't remember his real name. But um, Tommy gets super violent with this guy. He's a made guy. He beats him to death. And then that eventually comes full circle when Tommy gets whacked. You don't mess with people who are made by the mob unless you have a sit-down. Mob culture is so strange because they're all thugs, but there's like an un- there's like a written unwritten code there's rules it's like a times of 100 version of like baseball how there's supposed to be a conduct that you conduct yourself in right like there's unwritten rules that everyone kind of knows but once you cross them those are fighting words essentially right it's kind of like that and you get to see the ins and outs of it in subtle ways right how what um what being a rat's like um messing with the wrong people um you know, loot, stealing from the wrong person, you know, leaving things out, flashing too much. Like after they do the LaGuardia or the Latanza heist, heist, um, a lot of the people involved start flashing their money. They buy a new car. Um, uh, Jimmy two times buys his wife a new coat and Jimmy Conway's like, Hey, you, I told you don't fucking buy anything expensive. He bought her like a $20,000 fur coat. And, like, they're at a party or at a bar or whatever or one of their restaurants. And he's, like, he kicks them out take it back, right? And then the last guy you see is Jimmy Conway, played by De Niro. He's always, like, the smarter guy, right? He's kind of involved. He's, like, the ruthless, sneaky guy that you don't know about that's kind of behind the scenes. But 
you just can't put your finger on it, but like he knows everything, right? After this, people start disappearing. Jimmy needs to pay him still, and they start disappearing. Word's getting out. Hey, these guys were involved at that airport theft, that heist. Hmm. He disappears, he disappears. Him and his wife are found in a Cadillac under the bridge. He disappears. He went away. Things like that, right? Now, it seems like the longest part of the movie is the end of the movie. Because um, Henry becomes a big drug dealer in Pittsburgh. He's driving from New York to Pittsburgh. And he's selling a lot of cocaine. And his uh, side chick is making it with him. Or, you know... They buy it, and I'm not sure the term. I don't do cocaine. But, um, you know, they prepare it, and they distribute it, whatever, right? He's got, like, some dinner thing or lunch thing planned, and he's running around all day long, right? And he gets busted, and it all comes crashing down on him, right? And he's faced with a really tough choice, right? Like... Paulie already told him, don't do the fucking drugs. And Jimmy feels the heat of, you know, the cops coming closer and closer, catching who was involved in the New York crime family. They weren't part of a family, or if they were, they didn't say. But, or I didn't catch it. I've seen it like a dozen times. But Jimmy's starting to realize, like, hey, I can only trust me. I don't know what everyone else is going to do. My best friend Tommy's gone. He got whacked. Henry is fine, but, like, now he's in trouble. He just got pinched big time. And it's he's like, Henry knows Jimmy's going to kill him because he, he might talk. So Henry makes the decision to go into witness protection, and everybody gets busted. And that's the end of the movie, right? Now, I think the most notable line is at the end of the movie, you know, witness protection. You get a new identity, you get relocated, and you get granted immunity for your cooperation with the police, the federal, speak, or the FBI when you cooperate in a huge ongoing investigation, right? They offer that to you. You don't ask. Like, you're granted that. Like, hey, you're going to be a material witness for us. You're going to have to go and testify in front of them. And you're a rat, essentially, on the street. But they don't call it that. But you have to narc on them and identify them and give them up. And he does that. He sells them all out. And then he gets relocated somewhere out west. I forget if it's like Montana or Utah or Colorado, wherever it is. I just remember he's like in the suburbs. He's not living that city life anymore. And... He walks out to get his newspaper and he's like, ah, he's like, I, this life sucks, man. I fucking hate it. You know, I go to their restaurant for dinner and I want spaghetti and meatballs. All I get is egg noodles and ketchup. Now I'm going to live the rest of my life like a schnook. He loved the gang. He loved that life. And. It, the movie comes full circle because it ends with that quote. And the first quote is, I remember all I want. Like, I remember that I always wanted to be a gangster. 
like that's a perfect title for the the episode right there but I didn't get too into detail with it just because it has been a long time since I've seen the movie I've seen it enough to like know what happens and what goes on but like there's so many things that I could talk about and this one this episode's running a little wrong a little long and I'm gonna wrap it up here so if you haven't watched Goodfellas give that a chance give it a chance it's really good like I said it's one of the best mob movies ever one of the best movies ever quite frankly and uh hmm what do we want to do for next time Let's do a good old war movie. War movie. Saving Private Ryan. Might be a little overrated or underrated if you've never seen it. But let's do Saving Private Ryan. I'd like to talk about that. So, thanks for listening to, the, to today's show. I'm going to try to get one out on Thursday this time. For real. And, uh, thanks for listening once again. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. At Jake Sawinski 8 J-A-K-E-S-A-W. I-N-S-K-I. Keep spreading the word, too. I'd like to see this thing grow more and more and more and more. Tell everyone you know. Share it. Do what you got to do. Help me out. I'm going to start sharing this a little better, start talking about this a little better. And I'll talk to you guys next time. Peace.